syrup pulled out and put back there. I sat on the park bench, kissed a girl with the black hair in my head, shattered down to my heart. You better look out below, man. John Prine, the extraordinary poet of the ordinary. He loves those uh, those images of the of the split in consciousness between the intellectual and the emotional, and uh, the heart plunging into something that uh, it knows the head knows isn't going to work out so well. Nonetheless, in the John Prine song, it's always worth plunging into and accepting the consequences. When I think about contemporary American poets I admire, I can't think of anyone I admire more than John Prine. I, I don't know if an English professor is supposed to say that. I don't, I don't know, you know who I'm supposed to say, and there are other people that certainly matter to me in that conversation, but John Prine has that sense of the sacred nature of ordinary experience, a profound uh, trust in the subconscious to organize events. He lards the songs with these uh, amazing real-life details, and he just trusts that they're going to uh, be meaningful to other people. He'd often say in interviews that like he put something in a song because like this is just what happened. And people would be mystified by that, at the, at the inartfulness of it. And yet, if art is an attempt to mine the subconscious for its method of reconciling ordinary experience with the uh, extraordinary uh, emotional outcome it produces in us, then trusting the details of ordinary experience might be a, a real key to some poetic resonance that uh, might escape other poets who, uh, who are overthinking it. There's a great interview uh, with, it's like a songwriter's forum or something, John Prine's on there with a, a songwriter uh, I like, Sturgill Simpson, uh, who's he's kind of a country guy, and he came to know John Prine pretty well later in life, and they became friends. And and uh, there's a line from uh, from John Prine's song "Sabu visits the Twin Cities alone." He says, uh, "Wondering how the man could." Send the child actor visit in the land of the wind chill factor. John, as a Midwesterner, understands that the temperature doesn't really mean anything. It's the wind chill factor, that biting, cruel wind chill factor. You're walking along, sheltered by a building, come to a cross street, and the wind's blowing off the lake, and your nose freezes shut. They asked him how he came up with that line that so perfectly encapsulated that sense of the cruelty of that cutting wind. And he says, I don't know. I was just trying to find something that rhymed with child actor. Sturgill starts laughing his head off, and the guy 
asks him, what are, you, what are you laughing about over there, Sturgill? He says, it just suddenly occurred to me that I might be overthinking this whole thing. The song about Sabu, the elephant boy. Hey, look, Ma, here comes the elephant boy. Uh, is about Sabu Dastinger, I guess is how you pronounce that. The elephant boy, a child actor from the 1930s. Uh, John Prine was fascinated with celebrity and passing celebrity and people fading out of consciousness. One of his great songs, the late John Garfield Blues, it's about John Garfield, the actor. It starts off with a great and a really fascinating image in the first uh, verse. seems to describe a movie premiere and maybe a film itself. Black faces pressed Against the glass Where the rain has pressed its way Windblown scarves on top down Cause they all share one western train I love that image of black faces pressed against the glass. I think there, it might be an image of a film it's at least an image of a reflection, and it's an image of a something that's three-dimensional getting squashed down into two-dimensionality. And uh, we fall in love with and live with and understand the two-dimensional image of John Garfield, but don't understand his life, or of Sabu the Elephant Boy. We see him on the screen, but we don't see him having to go on tour to try to promote his movie and hawk his wares. We don't see the human behind the image. And John Prine is always, always deeply invested in restoring the ordinary human experience behind the image. And he feels that that's the profound and important thing in the world. And I do too. How could you not? He's not really that interested in a man-god and the cosmos kinds of questions. In one of his great songs from his album Storm Windows in 1980, it's uh, called One Red Rose. It's a, it's a song about the first real heartbreak, and there's a rose, one red rose in the Bible, pressed between the holy alphabet. Probably wouldn't believe you if you told me, but what I never knew, I never will forget. And uh, he's got this reminder of it, and it's also one of these images of something that was three-dimensional, and it's smashed into two-dimensionality. And it's merely a record of something that's more than that. You know, one of the things that made him great is he has such trust in us as an audience to fill in the, the gaps. And, you know, that rose is probably a corsage from a prom or something like that, you know. But it's, it's something that you save as a keepsake, it's designed as a keepsake. It's something that's meant to carry the weight of uh, significant symbolic meaning. But the meaning that it carries is not the meaning that it was, uh, you know, sort of designed to have. Now it's that kind of record, bittersweet record of the past. One of the verses of that song really captures that, I think. Rainy nights were made for lovers 
faithful. You know, it doesn't say that he never felt like that again. He just never felt like that before. And uh, first love and the first heartbreak feels a different way. It's kind of like that line in the um, in the other song that I was singing, the bruised orange chain of sorrow, the, the song about the kiss the girl with the black hair at the beginning. Um, it says you carry those bruises to remind you wherever you go. One of the things that's really great about that is though he's never modeling about it. I, he, I think he's modeling when he writes the songs sometimes. But like, you know, the um, Sabu visits the Twin Cities alone is a really funny song, and uh, and people ask him how he writes the funny songs, and he says he doesn't think they're funny. When he writes them, he just learns that they're funny afterwards. And that's also something profound in those songs, too, that at a certain point, the the heartache and the recovery of the heartache are all wrapped up in the same package, and it, it restores the perspective of that. Yeah, this is a, a serious thing that will stick with me and leave a mark, but it also is something that I've, moving, I've moved forward from and is... Uh, is edifying and enlightening me as it, as we move ahead. One of his great songs, That's the Way the World Goes Round, he sometimes refers to as the happy enchilada song because uh, he tells a story about a lady thinking the song says, it's a happy enchilada instead of it's a half an enchilada. He's saying, but it it turns kind of modeling and then he he recovers it. One of the verses says, I sit in the bathtub just counting my toes When the radiator broke, the water all froze I stuck there in the ass, out in my clothes Just as naked as the eyes of a clown I was crying out ice cubes, hoping I'd croak When the sun come through the window, the ice all broke I stood up and laughed, I thought it was a joke That's the way that the world goes around Just, you know, from the absurdly, comically, clownishly modeling to, eh, I'm over it and I'm moving ahead. And it's really, I, I, I don't know how to put my finger on it. It's so familiar, so friendly. And I think in, in general, he was familiar and friendly. John Prine was one of those musicians that I don't ever remember discovering, I don't ever remember not knowing, and then knowing his work seems to be knowing a person, and I know that's absurd, but he seemed like somebody in my life and somebody in my world. Of all the people we lost this year to this terrible virus, uh, John Prine felt the most personal and hurt the most for me, and that's not to, you know, to diminish the fact that so many, so many, so many are suffering. And of course, I didn't know him. I never met him. I only saw him one time. In 2013, he had part of one of his lungs removed um, to treat lung cancer. He'd had a, a tumor removed on his neck uh, around, you know, 15 years before that or so. And I saw him right after he was coming back from his lung cancer 
ordeal, and I just went to see the man. I was seeing him out in nostalgia. I wasn't expecting anything but looking at him on stage, frankly. And uh, he ended up delivering one of the best folk shows I've ever seen in my life. I was, I was mesmerized by him. There's a video where Nashville guitar legend Marty Stewart says to John, says, John, you're one of my favorite guitar players. And, and uh, John says, well, Marty, if you got five seconds, I'll show you everything I know, which is probably true, but it's just so distinctive. You just sort of know who he is. He was somebody who was just so, sort of his delivery, his vocal, his guitar was such a complete, uh, and and I don't know if authentic is the right word, but consistent expression of who he was as an artist. And that consistency or whatever it was, or his personality, his stories, his approachability, his humanness, whatever it was, he truly seemed like a person in my life more than a, a performer or an idea or a concept. And I rather suspect that those aspects of his humanity are um, equally available to people who don't know him. I assume if you're listening to the podcast, you probably know who John Prine is, and you're probably invested in this. But if you don't, I think I think he's just still there in those records in a way that's that's going to last. If you know John Prine, and you probably do. You may have seen this already. There's a really interesting tribute um, where some people sing his song, I Remember Everything, which is one of his one of his very last songs he wrote. I won't give it away um, because I, I really want you to to check it out. You can find it on, on YouTube or whatever. But Jim James, Nathaniel Ratcliffe, Keb Moe, Shamika Copeland, some people I've mentioned on the on the podcast and, and people that I admire um, sing a tribute to him. And it's it's I get ready to cry if you care about John Prine and know who he is. But uh, but anyway, it's 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 a really it's really great. And you know, the the number of lives he touched and the number of people who were inspired by his songwriting is really amazing. I mean he did something that's the definition of mastery, I guess. I mean, he seemed to do it so unselfconsciously. It seemed so easy, and yet no one else can do it. I mean, you hear the people who are inspired by John Prine writing sort of John Prine-style songs, and they just can't quite get that balance between the the modeling and the saccharine and the and the human and the even profound it's just such an odd mix you don't sometimes you don't even know like is this anything i mean is he doing this right uh, you know is this the most profound thing i've ever heard or is it the stupidest uh but when you live with it for a while i mean if you if you experience it like the characters in the songs experience it and you just sort of live with that tension between the way you intellectualize it and the way you process it emotionally then it really I think at least for me resonates deeply with me one really fascinating aspect of John Prine's writing to me is that he uh, 
has several times, I guess, um, written from the perspective of a woman. Uh, his great song uh, that that was made popular by Bonnie Raitt, Angel from, from Montgomery, starts off, I am an old woman. Um, and his song, Speed of the Sound of Loneliness, is from a female perspective, too. And when he performs them himself, he doesn't uh, change the genders. He he performs them from the perspective of a woman. And then uh, one of his really interesting songs about that kind of like, you know, split consciousness that I was talking about, and it has that kind of Walter Mitty aspect of it where somebody's like traveling in their mind uh, to a different place, uh, is his great song, Linda Goes to Mars. And it's basically like the... The man and the woman, the man and the woman who are married, apparently sit there together, and then she sort of goes off on her own when when he's, you know, when she wants to tune him out. It goes the beginning of it. I just found out yesterday that Linda goes to Mars. Every time I sit and look at pictures of used cars she'll turn on her radio and sit down in her chair and look at me across the room as if I wasn't there it's just a really interesting setup you know he knows that she's checking out or he discovers, I guess, yesterday that she's checking out. But, you know, he's sitting there looking at pictures of used cars that he's not buying. He's checking out, too. He's been checking out for years, and then he suddenly has the revelation that she's doing the same thing, and it gives him a new perspective on the whole situation. Again, it's that celebration of the extraordinary within the ordinary that I think really defines him. And uh, I think he's worth your time and attention. You know, uh, Bob Dylan got a Nobel Prize for Literature for songs here recently and maybe has given um, uh, a little more license to people like me to think about these songs as literature. I always have, but I, I you know, teach them in such a way now. I remember reading around that time, uh, John was still alive at the time, it was a couple years ago, and Dylan said that his favorite song of John's was Lake Marie. We were standing, standing by peaceful waters. It's a complicated song. There's a history of these lakes and then a history of a relationship that's ending or uh, the... Guy and the wife are trying to reconcile. And there's a great line and it says, uh, we fell asleep singing the song, singing the words to the song, Louie, Louie. And then afterward, it quotes the song and it says, ah, baby, we got to go now. And you think that they're reconciling, but they're really just recapturing a moment that's about to be let go. They then see um, on the television, which is another one of those squashed two-dimensional images of black and white TV, they're probably seeing their own reflections in it. Um, and it's about a murder 
at the lake that the song's about, we're, they're not at it. It's just seeing it on the news. And uh, he says, you know what blood looks like in a black and white video? Shadows. That's what it looks like. All the love we shared between her and me was slammed, slammed up against the banks of old Lake Marie. And bam, that relationship gets turned into a two-dimensional image like that rose pressed in the Bible. And it's in the book now. It's over. It's done. Even though you think they're going to reconcile. It's just, it's amazing. It's beautiful. Anyway, John Prine, a great American poet. If you don't know John Prine, check him out. You probably do. Maybe take this opportunity to revisit him. He's taught me everything I know about folk music. I kicked off a Noah's Ark. I turned the cheek to one and kind There was two of everything and just one of me. See you next week. Be safe.